The Alchemical Tech Revolution is sponsored by Anchor. Anchor by Spotify. That's anchor.fm. Hi folks, this is Wayne McCroy, host of the Alchemical Tech Revolution podcast. I'm here to tell you tonight about Anchor. Anchor is one of the best podcast distribution apps out there. Uh, They offer various ways to create, distribute, and monetize your podcast all for free, and they have some of the best built-in uploading, recording, and editing tools available in the industry. From start to finish, they can help you to set up your podcast. So if you are interested in starting a podcast, check out anchor.fm. Or if you are already a podcaster and you're looking for distribution solutions for your podcast, check out anchor.fm. Come with me.
Listening to the Alchemical Tech Revolution, and I am your host, Wayne McRoy. We're going to discuss the work of Dr. Jose Delgado uh, and the uh, forgotten history of brain implants. Uh, and this comes from a 2005, uh, the October edition, of Scientific American magazine. And the name of the article we'll be reading from is called The Forgotten Era of Brain Chips by John Horgan. So, what do we know about Delgado? Well, let's read this again, and we'll, we'll give you a little bit of a background of the gentleman. His name was Jose Delgado, a pioneer of brain implant technology, and he was perhaps most famous for halting a charging bull by merely pressing a button on a device that sent signals to the animal's brain. So, he was able to control the movements of a charging bull and stop the charging bull at the touch of a button with a remote control device. And that's what this guy did. He uh, developed brain chip implants that he was able to control various factors, various uh, movements and functions of the brains of animals and humans. Uh, so this was, you know, an important discovery in the scientific fields. And uh, much of Delgado's work took place throughout the course of the 1960s and into the 1970s. Uh, and in the early 1970s, he uh, began to become criticized by other scientists because of the concerning nature of this research. And therefore, he moved from the U.S. to Spain in 1974, and slowly his name started disappearing out of the various public uh, accreditations of the scientific journals and uh, the academic institutions. So from there, he uh, began to... Uh, retire somewhat so at least from the public view right so that being the case his accomplishments really helped to prepare the way uh, for various technologies that have come about today devices that they use to treat uh, diseases such as epilepsy movement disorders parkinson's and dystonia among others so uh, a lot of this guy's research uh, actually had some good beneficial medical medicinal uses and uh, many of the technologies had caught on and how much further have we come since this time now when uh, delgado was doing these experiments with the animals being able to remote control the animals and and such this was the early 1970s so you're going back 50 years 50 years imagine the advancements that have uh, since been made uh, within this type of research. But let's get into the reading here. We'll get directly into the article. I don't want to waste any more time having had all those issues with uh, the stream here. Uh, so let's get into it. In the early 1970s, Jose Manuel Rodriguez Delgado, a professor of physiology at Yale University, was among the world's most acclaimed and controversial neuroscientists. In 1970, the New York Times Magazine hailed him in a cover story as the impassioned prophet of a new psycho-civilized society whose members would influence and alter their own mental functions. The article added, though, that some of Delgado's Yale colleagues saw frightening potentials in his works. 
Delgado, after all, had pioneered the most unnerving of technologies, the brain chip, an electronic device that can manipulate the mind by receiving signals from and transmitting them to neurons. Long the MacGuffins of science fiction, from The Terminal Man to The Matrix, brain chips are now being used or tested as treatments for epilepsy, Parkinson's disease, paralysis, blindness, and other disorders. Decades ago, Delgado carried out experiments that were more dramatic in some respects than anything being done today. He implanted radio-equipped electrode arrays, which he called stimoceivers, in cats, monkeys, chimpanzees, gibbons, bulls, and even humans. And he showed that he could control subjects' minds and bodies with the push of a button. Yet, after Delgado moved to Spain in 1974... His reputation in the U.S. faded, not only from public memory, but from the minds and citation lists of other scientists. He described his results in more than 500 peer-reviewed papers and in a widely reviewed 1969 book, but these are seldom cited by modern researchers. In fact, some familiar with his early work assume he died. But Delgado, who recently moved with his wife, Caroline, from Spain to San Diego, California, is very much alive and well, and he has a unique perspective on modern efforts to treat various disorders by stimulating specific areas of the brain. And I'm going to pause for a moment there, folks. Remember, this was written in 2005. Uh, So uh, since then, I'm sure Delgado has probably passed on, uh, because that was 17 years ago. And I believe he was 90 years old as of this writing. Uh, So it's very likely he's since passed on. Uh, Almost a certainty. But uh, at any rate, we could see here, this guy uh, did some prolific work. And much of his work disappeared from the literature, strangely enough. Right? Isn't that odd? That much of his work disappeared from the literature and, uh, you know, has been since forgotten in some ways by most. Uh, So even though they don't cite his work, he did have a, a vast influence on the field. But let's continue reading here. Born in 1915 in Ronda, Spain, Delgado went on to earn a medical degree from the University of Madrid in the 1930s. Although he has long been dogged by rumors that he supported the fascist regime of Francisco Franco, he actually served in the medical corps of the Republican Army, which opposed Franco during Spain's Civil War, while he was a medical student. After Franco crushed the Republicans, Delgado was detained in a concentration camp for five months before resuming his studies. He originally intended to become an eye doctor like his father, but a stint in a physiology laboratory, sorry, laboratory, <coughs> excuse me, plus exposure to the writings of the great Spanish neuroscientist Santiago Ramon y Cajol left him entranced by the, quote, many mysteries of the brain. How little was known then. How little is known now, end quote. Delgado was particularly intrigued by the experiments of Swiss physiologist Walter Rudolf Hess. Going to pause for a moment there, folks. Do you recognize the name of Rudolf Hess? Hmm? Uh, Pay close attention. (laughs) That might be important later. You could look up Rudolf Hess later. Uh, You probably did not see that coming. Uh, But (laughs) that's beside the point. Let's go ahead and continue reading here. Hess 
had demonstrated that he could elicit behaviors such as rage, hunger, and sleepiness in cats by electrically stimulating different spots in their brains with wires. In 1946, Delgado won a year-long fellowship at Yale. In 1950, he accepted a position in its Department of Physiology, then headed by John Fulton, who played a crucial role in the history of psychiatry. In a 1935 lecture in London, Fulton had reported that a violent neurotic chimpanzee named Becky had become calm and compliant after surgical destruction of her prefrontal lobes. In the audience was Portuguese psychiatrist Igas Moniz, who started performing lobotomies on psychotic patients and claimed excellent results. After Moniz won a Nobel Prize in 1949, lobotomies became an increasingly popular treatment for mental illness. Initially disturbed that his method of pacifying a chimpanzee had been applied to humans, Fulton later became a cautious proponent of psychosurgery. Delgado disagreed with his mentor's stance. I thought Fulton and Moniz's idea of destroying the brain was absolutely horrendous, Delgado recalls. He felt it would be far more conservative to treat mental illness by applying the electrical stimulation methods pioneered by Hess, who shared the 1949 prize with Moniz. My idea was to avoid lobotomy, Delgado says, with the help of electrodes implanted in the brain. Going to pause for a moment there, folks. So this was a solution or a uh, a type of an alternative to lobotomy. Okay, that's that's what Delgado started out looking at. He thought that by using uh, these chips that electrically stimulate the brain, he could go ahead and circumvent a lobotomy. So this is where he uh, began his avenue of thought with this. So lobotomy was quite the craze back at that time uh, because they had discovered a couple of things uh, where, you know, if you removed part of the, the prefrontal lobes, uh, it tended to calm a person down, right? Made them non-reactive, non-emotional, uh, pacified uh, their behaviors in many ways. So this was a popular type of a treatment at the time. And this was a time that was horrific for anybody with mental illness, during the 1940s and 50s. Horrific. Uh, this was the, the time when, you know, asylums were still a thing and, and various things like that. So it was kind of in its early days. Psychiatry was really in its infancy at that time uh, still. So with that being the case, uh, they, they tried a lot of really... Um, horrendous things to treat some of these people and lobotomy became one of the preferred procedures well delgado thought that uh, perhaps the work of hess uh, would help him out in, in as far as this goes uh, looking into that research and deciding to try and do something himself by stimulating the brain with electrical impulses so th this is what he began to look at but let's read on here <clears throat> One key to Delgado's scientific success was his skill as an inventor. A Yale colleague once called him a technological wizard. In his early experiments, wires ran from implanted electrodes out through the skull and skin to bulky electronic devices that recorded data and delivered electrical pulses. 
This set up restricted subjects' movements and left them prone to infections. Hence, Delgado designed radio-equipped stimosievers as small as half dollars that could be fully implanted in subjects. His other inventions included an early version of the cardiac pacemaker and implantable chemotrodes that could release precise amounts of drugs directly into specific areas of the brain. And I'm going to pause for a moment right there, folks. Does that sound like a familiar technology these days? Imagine how far it's progressed since then, because this has gone back 50 plus years that uh, he was working on this. So uh, with that being the case, um, we could see that uh, perhaps... We've come a very long way from there. Uh, so if that's the case, imagine the things that they're able to do now. Uh, the pharmaceutical companies have always been interested in something like this, especially when it, when it comes to uh, having drugs that directly deliver to the brain and can cause various effects, right? So this is something that he was looking at, too. He invented chemotrodes, little electronic chips that could deliver drug doses directly to brain tissue. Isn't that interesting? Back in the 1960s, they had this in 1960s and 70s, and probably before that, too. This, might, this, this research might even go back to the 50s, or even, you know, as far back as the, the late 40s. <coughs> so anyway, let's continue in our reading here. In 1952... Delgado co-authored the first peer-reviewed paper describing long-term implantation of electrodes in humans, narrowly beating a report by Robert Heath of Tulane University. Over the next two decades, Delgado implanted electrodes in some 25 human subjects, most of them schizophrenics and epileptics, at a now-defunct mental hospital in Rhode Island. He operated, he says, only on desperately ill patients whose disorders had resisted all previous treatments. Early on, his placement of electrodes in humans was guided by animal experiments, studies of brain-damaged people, and the work of Canadian neurosurgeon Wilder Penfield. Beginning in the 1930s, Penfield stimulated epileptic brains with electrodes before surgery to determine where he should operate. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. Now, there's an example of this type of technology going back to the 1930s. A gentleman named Wilder Penfield did experiments uh, with this uh, type of technology in the 1930s. And this is where uh, uh, one of the places where uh, Delgado drew some of his uh, research from. So this stuff goes back way further, way further than what most people think. Uh, so there is an entire historical narrative here, uh, a kind of hidden underground stream of knowledge that has been performed with the advent of brain chips and the electrical stimulation of the brain. Uh, this, is, this is a commodity that's been known for some time, and it's kind of gone on behind closed doors in many regards. And many of the early experiments, and uh, the experiments of Delgado in particular, don't really get cited as sources too much, do they? They don't get mentioned. He kind of fell off of the radar in the mid-1970s, and has since disappeared. His work has disappeared. It has largely gone uncredited, undiscussed, not talked about. you got to wonder why, right? But let's continue reading here. 
Delgado showed that stimulation of the motor cortex could elicit specific physical reactions, such as movement of the limbs. One patient clenched his fist when stimulated, even when he tried to resist. I guess, doctor, that your electricity is stronger than my will, the patient commented. Another subject, turning his head from side to side in response to stimulation, insisted he was doing so voluntarily, explaining, I am looking for my slippers. <laughs> By stimulating different regions of the limbic system, which regulates emotion, Delgado could also induce fear, rage, lust, hilarity, garrulousness, and other reactions, some of them startling in their intensity. In one experiment, Delgado and two collaborators at Harvard University stimulated the temporal lobe of a 21-year-old epileptic woman while she was calmly playing a guitar. In response, she flew into a rage and smashed her guitar against a wall, narrowly missing a researcher's head. And I'm going to pause there for a moment, folks. Think about the implications of this. By stimulating certain uh, sections of the brain, different regions of the limbic system, with electrical impulses, Delgado was able to incite different emotions in people, and he could do this via remote control. How much further advanced do you think this technology is since then? This is the 1950s. The 1950s this was being done. 50s, 60s, and into the 70s. Uh, that's what they're talking about here when they're talking about Delgado's work. Now, what he's done since the 70s, I don't know if they'll touch upon that here or if anything's even known about that. Uh, maybe some of the research that's been developed from his uh, techniques and technologies here has become classified in some program or another. I wouldn't doubt it. But let's go ahead and read on here. Perhaps the most medically promising finding was that stimulation of a limbic region called the septum could trigger euphoria, strong enough in some cases to counteract depression and even physical pain. Delgado limited his human research, however, because the therapeutic benefits of implants were unreliable. Results varied widely from patient to patient and could be unpredictable, even in the same subject. In fact, Delgado recalls turning away more patients than he treated, including a young woman who was sexually promiscuous and prone to violence and had repeatedly been confined in jails and mental hospitals. Although both the woman and her parents begged Delgado to implant electrodes in her, he refused, feeling that electrical stimulation was too primitive for a case involving no discernible neurological disorder. And I'm going to pause there for a moment, folks. <coughs> so you could see that uh, he claimed he only did his experiments on a select few people who uh, all other forms of therapy had failed for, and he was very selective in who he targeted. So uh, you have to wonder, why would he outright refuse to try, even try to treat a, a woman like this that uh, was so much begging for his help? Why would he turn them away? You have to wonder these things, right? But uh, anyway, and maybe he only had uh, some very strict criteria that he stuck to uh, for these things. So let's continue on and see what else this has to say. Delgado did much more extensive research on monkeys and other animals, often focusing on neural regions that elicit and inhibit aggression. 
In one demonstration, which explored the effects of stimulation on social hierarchy, he implanted a stimoceiver in a macaque bully. He then installed a lever in the cage that, when pressed, pacified the bully by causing the stimoceiver to stimulate the monkey's caudate nucleus, a brain region involved in controlling voluntary movements. A female in the cage soon discovered the lever's power and yanked it whenever the male threatened her. Delgado, who never shied from anthropomorphic interpretations, wrote, The old dream of an individual overpowering the strength of a dictator by remote control has been fulfilled, at least in our monkey colonies. Delgado's most famous experiment took place in 1963 at a bull breeding ranch in Cordoba, Spain. After inserting stimoceivers into the brains of several fighting bulls, he stood in a bull ring with one bull at a time and by pressing buttons on a handheld transmitter, controlled each animal's actions. In one instance, captured in a dramatic photo, Delgado forced a charging bull to skid to a halt only a few feet away from him by stimulating its caudate nucleus. The New York Times published a front-page story on the event calling it, quote, the most spectacular demonstration ever performed of the deliberate modification of animal behavior through external control of the brain, end quote. Other articles hailed Delgado's transformation of an aggressive beast into a real-life version of Ferdinand the Bull, the gentle hero of a popular children's story. In terms of scientific significance, Delgado believes his experiment on a female chimpanzee named Patty deserved more attention. Delgado programmed Patty's stimoceiver to detect distinctive signals called spindles spontaneously emitted by her amygdala. Whenever the stimoceiver detected a spindle, it stimulated the central gray region of Patty's brain, producing an aversive reaction, that is, a painful or unpleasant sensation. After two hours of this negative feedback, Patty's amygdala produced 50% fewer spindles. The frequency dropped by 99% within six days. Patty was not exactly a picture of health. She became quieter, less attentive, and less motivated during behavioral testing, Delgado wrote. He nonetheless speculated that this automatic learning technique could be used to quell epileptic seizures, panic attacks, or other disorders characterized by specific brain signals. Delgado's research was supported not only by civilian agencies, but also by military ones, such as the Office of Naval Research, but never, Delgado insists, by the Central Intelligence Agency, as some conspiracy theorists have charged. Gonna pause there for a moment, folks. You better believe if the Office of Naval Intelligence or the uh, any of those types of groups uh, had their fingers in this, you better believe the CIA was getting something out of it, regardless of what uh, Delgado insists, right? <laughs> that's That's a stark admission right there and that's they they always got to get their dig in on conspiracy theorists about this stuff uh don't they uh look at the world around you folks is there any doubt in your mind that some people's minds are being manipulated in some way shape or form i have no doubt i think we're all being manipulated in certain ways and uh you know it just goes to show um let's always try to defect deflect the blame away right it's the whole plausible deniability factor here the technologies exist the techniques exist 
Mind control is a real thing. It's been going on from time immemorial, and they've perfected it pretty well. And now they have a lot of technological means to enhance the techniques that they've learned from the ancient mystery schools and the various secret society groups that have brought forward these teachings. So, with that being said, intelligence agencies, you better believe that they got their fingers in this kind of a thing. So regardless of what he says here, uh, even though it's readily admitted the military is involved, the Office of Naval Research, uh, but it says it denies the fact the intelligence agencies are involved. Uh, but, uh, you know, they, they work hand in hand, military and intelligence. <coughs> Let's read on. Delgado, who calls himself a pacifist, says that his Pentagon sponsors viewed his work as basic research and never steered him toward military applications. Of course he's going to say that, folks. He wants the paychecks to keep rolling in, and he wants a nice retirement, right? So he's going to keep his mouth shut. <laughs> Let's read on here. He has always dismissed speculation that implants could create cyborg soldiers who kill on command like the brainwashed assassin in the novel and film versions of the manchurian candidate the assassin was controlled by psychological methods in the original 1962 film and by a brain chip in the 2004 remake Brain stimulation may increase or decrease aggressive behavior, he asserts, but it cannot direct aggressive behavior to any specific target. The next section here, <coughs> excuse me, got this nagging cough. The next section here is titled Envis Envisioning a Psycho-Civilized Society. And this is where things get a little more interesting as far as Delgado's work goes. So let's read on here uh, because, you know, we're a little bit behind schedule still because of the little snafu here in the beginning with uh, the stream dropping on me. But let's continue on. In 1969, Delgado described brain stimulation research and discussed its implications in physical control of the mind toward a psycho-civilized society, which was illustrated with photographs of monkeys, cats, a bull, and two young women whose turbans concealed stimosievers. Female patients have shown their feminine adaptability to circumstance, Delgado remarked, by wearing attractive hats or wigs to conceal their electrical headgear. Spelling out the limitations of brain stimulation, Delgado downplayed Orwellian possibilities <laughs> in which evil scientists enslave people by implanting electrodes in their brains. Going to pause right there. Of course, he didn't want to think in those terms, right? This was the stuff he was working on. He didn't want to think himself one of those evil scientists, right? Uh, so let's continue on. Yet some of his rhetoric had an alarmingly evangelical tone. Neurotechnology, he declared, was on the verge of conquering the mind and creating a less cruel, happier, and better man. In a review in Scientific American, the late physicist Philip Morrison called physical control a thoughtful, up-to-date account of electrical stimulation experiments, but added that its implications were somehow ominous. In 1970... Delgado's field was engulfed in a scandal triggered by Frank Irvin and Vernon Mark, two researchers at Harvard Medical School, with whom Delgado briefly collaborated. 
One of Irvin's students was Michael Crichton, who wrote The Terminal Man. The bestseller about a bionic experiment gone awry was inspired by the research of Irvin, Mark, and Delgado. <laughs> Gonna pause there, folks. That's an interesting crossover, isn't it? Michael Crichton was a student of uh, one of these this guy's colleagues and was inspired by this guy's work, by Delgado's work. Uh, so keep that in mind as we move forward, too. In their book, Violence and the Brain, Irvin and Mark suggested that brain stimulation or psychosurgery might quell the violent tendencies of black rioting in inner cities. In 1972, Heath, the Tulane psychiatrist, raised more questions about brain implant research when he reported that he had triggered or sorry, that he had tried to change the sexual orientation of a male homosexual by stimulating his septal region while he had intercourse with a female prostitute. The fiercest opponent of brain implants was psychiatrist P Peter Bregan, who in recent decades has focused on the dangers of psychiatric drugs. In testimony submitted into the congressional record in 1972, Bregan lumped Delgado, Irvin, Mark, and Heath together with advocates of lobotomies and accused them of trying to create, quote, a society in which everyone who deviates from the norm will be surgically mutilated, end quote. Quoting liberally from Physical Control, Bregan singled out Delgado as the great apologist for technologic totalitarianism. In his 1973 book, Brain Control, Elliot Valenstein, a neurophysiologist at the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor, presented a detailed scientific critique of brain implant research by Delgado and others, contending that the results of stimulation were much less precise and therapeutically beneficial than proponents often suggested. Delgado notes that in his own writings, he made many of the same points as Valenstein. Meanwhile, strangers started accusing Delgado of having secretly implanted stimulators in their brains. One woman who made this claim sued Delgado and Yale University for $1 million, although he had never met her. In the midst of the brouhaha, Villar Palasi, the Spanish Minister of Health, asked Delgado to help organize a new medical school at the Autonomous University in Madrid, and he accepted, moving with his wife and two children to Spain in 1974. He insists that he was not fleeing the disputes surrounding his research. The minister's offer was just too good to refuse. I said, could I have the facilities I have at Yale? And he said, oh no, much better. In Spain, Delgado shifted his focus to non-invasive methods of affecting the brain, which he hoped would be more medically acceptable than implants. Anticipating modern techniques such as transcranial magnetic stimulation, he invented a halo-like device and a helmet that could deliver electromagnetic pulses to specific neural regions. Testing the gadgets on both animals and human volunteers, including himself and his daughter Linda, Delgado discovered that he could induce drowsiness, alertness, and other states. He also had some success treating tremors in Parkinson's patients. Delgado still could not entirely escape controversy. 
In the mid-1980s, an article in the magazine Omni and documentaries by the BBC and CNN cited Delgado's work as circumstantial evidence that the U.S. and Soviet Union might have secretly developed methods for remotely modifying people's thoughts, noting that the power and precision of electromagnetic pulses decline rapidly with distance, Delgado dismisses these mind control claims as, quote, science fiction, end quote. And I'm going to pause right there for a moment, folks. This is not science fiction. This is a proven commodity now. Uh, but in the 1980s, most people didn't know about this stuff. So this was uh, kind of a, a compelling argument at the time. And of course, Delgado is going to come out and say, oh, yeah, that's nonsense. Electromagnetic pulses, they decline rapidly with distance. Well, in today's modern world, we don't really have that problem, do we? Uh, when there's a uh, some type of a, a uh, transmitter device or uh, carrier device everywhere. So uh, that's, that's not really, a, you know... A problem at this point plus uh, like I said a lot of these technologies these remote control technologies this uh, remote mind altering uh, radio frequency technology is a real accepted commodity we've seen uh, the patents become declassified and come forward now since this time and we know that that's a real thing so uh, even though Delgado says yeah that's not really a thing guess what folks he's been proven wrong since then uh, like openly, publicly. Uh, so uh, that being the case, he may have dismissed it at the time as science fiction, but I assure you it's not. And you can always rest assured that anything that is science fiction today will be science fact tomorrow because that's the way that these people operate, right? Let's continue on. <coughs> Except for these flashes of publicity, however, Delgado's work no longer received the attention it once had. Although he continued publishing articles, especially on the effects of electromagnetic radiation on cognition, behavior, and embryonic growth, many appeared only in Spanish journals. Moreover, brain stimulation studies back in the U.S. bogged down in ethical controversies, grants dried up, and researchers drifted to other fields. Notably, psychopharmacology, which seemed to be a much safer, more effective way to treat brain disorders. <laughs> get that a more effective way to treat brain disorders than the brain stimulation or surgery pharmaceuticals folks i'm going to pause for a moment pharmaceuticals where's all the money at now well of course it's in the pharmaceuticals that's who has all the money right these big pharmaceutical companies big pharma uh they they got their say so uh you know they they steered people away from these types of things as far as in the mainstream medical field. Now they will use uh, pharmaceutical methods to control people's behaviors or alter people's behaviors. And they won't use something like uh, electrical stimulation of the brain. <coughs> Although these technologies, I'm sure, uh, probably would have their effective uses in that way. But uh, there's not as much profit to be made in uh, a one-time implantation of a device than there would be for the continued selling of a pharmaceutical drug over and over and over again to a patient for life and creating new problems as side effects of that drug and therefore getting the, the patient to buy into other drugs to counteract the side effects of the one drug. 
it's a never-ending loop. It's a never-ending vicious cycle, right? But uh, anyway, I digress on that. Let's continue reading here. Only in the past decade have brain has brain implant research revived, spurring spurred by advances in computation, electrodes, microelectronics, and brain scanning technologies, and by a growing recognition of the limits of drugs for treating mental illness. Delgado, who stopped doing research in the early 1990s but still follows the field of brain stimulation, believes modern investigators failed to cite his studies not because he was so controversial, but simply out of ignorance. After all, most modern databases do not include publications from his heyday in the 1950s and 1960s. He is thrilled by the resurgence of research on brain stimulation because he still believes in its potential to liberate us from psychiatric diseases and other innate aggression. In the near future, he says, I think we will be able to help many human beings, especially with the non-invasive methods. Delgado's success successors have faced some of the same questions that he did about possible abuses of neurotechnology. Some pundits have expressed concern that brain chips could allow a controlling organization to hack into the wetware between our ears, as New York Times columnist William Sapphire put it. An editorial in Nature recently expressed concern that officials in the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, a major funder of brain implant research, have openly considered implanting brain chips in soldiers to boost their cognitive capabilities. Meanwhile, some techno-enthusiasts, such as British computer scientist Kevin Warwick, contend that the risks of brain chips are far outweighed by the potential benefits, which will include instantly downloading new languages or other skills, controlling computers and other devices with our thoughts, and communicating telepathically with one another. And I'm going to pause for a moment right there, folks. This is all a setup for transhumanism. Do you see this in this article back in 2005? And even going back to these types of researches that Delgado was doing back in the 1950s and even the stuff prior to that. It's all part of the rollout of the transhumanist agenda. The transhumanist notion here. So you could see that, uh, you know, the the use of chip brain chip implants in various ways has been thought about and uh, talked about by many people within these academic institutions here. So they're they're gearing up for this this rollout of this thing. And this article, remember, keep in mind, this was written in 2005, 17 years ago, and we've seen so much more of this type of technology emerge in the years since, haven't we? Uh, and be acknowledged like publicly out in the open. Whereas before, it was kind of behind closed doors, it was hidden away from the public, not really discussed much. But now we see the pushes on for these neurotechnologies, and especially nano-neurotechnologies. We're getting there. Uh, I don't know if they, they talk about that in this article or not, but we're going to continue on here with the reading. So uh, let's get right back to it. 
Delgado predicts that neurotechnologies may never advance as far as many people fear or hope. The applications envisioned by Warwick and others, Delgado points out, require knowing how complex information is encoded in the brain, a goal that neuroscientists are far from achieving. Moreover, learning quantum mechanics or a new language involves slowly changing connections, which are already there, Delgado says. I don't think you can do that suddenly. Brain stimulation, he adds, can only modify skills and capacities that we already possess. But Delgado looks askance at the suggestion of the White House Council on Bioethics and others that some scientific goals, particularly those that involve altering human nature, should not even be pursued. To be sure, he says, technology has two sides, for good and for bad, and we should do what we can to avoid the adverse consequences. We should try to prevent potentially destructive technologies from being abused by authoritarian governments to gain more power or by terrorists to wreak destruction. But human nature, Delgado asserts, echoing one of the themes of physical control, is not static but dynamic, constantly changing as a result of our compulsive self-exploration. Can you avoid knowledge? Delgado asks. You cannot. Can you avoid technology? You cannot. Things are going to go ahead in spite of ethics, in spite of your personal beliefs, in spite of everything. And I don't think Delgado's wrong about that, folks. (coughs) These things continue on, right? These technologies are going to be developed one way or another, whether we are on board with them or not, whether we... uh, truly feel that this is an ethical thing to do or not, uh, whether or not we're concerned about the implications of the negative use of these or not, there's always going to be that mad scientist out there that decides they want to try it just because they want to push the bounds of human knowledge and understanding. So we are, you know, uh, in a position where these things will happen, these experiments will proceed, and we need to decide how we want to react to them, what we want to do with this information. Let's continue through the article here, and we're almost finished, uh, and we'll wrap it up rather quickly here. Uh, So let's look here. Brain implants today. When Jose Delgado and a few other intrepid scientists first began exploring the effects of implanting electrodes in the brain half a century ago, they could not foresee how many people would one day benefit from this line of research. By far, the most successful form of implant, or neural prosthesis, is the artificial cochlea. More than 70,000 people have been equipped with these devices, which restore at least rudimentary hearing by feeding signals from an external microphone to the auditory nerve. Brain stimulators have been implanted in more than 30,000 people suffering from Parkinson's disease and other movement disorders, including 17-year-old Carrie Weiner, shown at the right. And there's a picture here of uh, this, this girl in a wheelchair. So, uh, let's continue on here. Roughly the same number of epileptics are being treated with devices that stimulate the vagus nerve in the neck. Work on other prostheses is proceeding more slowly. Clinical trials are now underway to test brain and vagus nerve stimulation for treating disorders such as depression, obsessive-compulsive disorder, panic attacks, and chronic pain. 
artificial retinas, light-sensitive chips that mimic the eye's signal processing ability, and stimulate the optic nerve or visual cortex have been tested in a handful of blind subjects, but they usually see nothing more than phosphenes or bright spots. Several groups have recently shown that monkeys can control computers and robotic arms merely by thinking, as media accounts invariably put it. Not telekinetically, but via implanted electrodes picking up neural signals. The potential for empowering the paralyzed is obvious, but so far, few experiments with humans have been carried out with limited success. Chips that might restore the memory of those afflicted with Alzheimer's disease or other disorders are still a year or two away from testing in rats. And I'm going to pause right there. This was 2005, folks. This article was written. And I'm sure they've long since done all kinds of tests. And why do we have no viable treatment methods with this type of technology? Hmm? All these years of research, all these years, spent researching this stuff and uh, doing clinical studies and, and different things and, and doing these experiments. And we've had very little progress in the actual treatment of disease with something like this, right? Why continue? Hmm? Yet they do. There's got to be reasons behind it. What are they doing with the data? What data are they really looking for? These are the questions you have to ask. Because it's obvious that uh, although these experiments have been done and they're ostensibly uh, for the purpose of treating these different disorders or uh, these different uh, types of uh, um, different conditions in people, they're not doing anything restorative are they now maybe it will help some people with various function and i know they say like the cochlear implant and stuff like that has been a successful technology derived from this but uh, by and large when it comes to the actual brain chip portion of it itself uh, a, a neural prosthesis they, they haven't really had any major groundbreaking breakthroughs in those early years of study now in the modern era it seems like they're they're you know making some strides but it's not something that's out there as a treatment option for the average person yet and this is wherein it becomes a problem of sorts right because they they spend all this time and money researching this and maybe they're able to achieve certain results through the use of these devices but they haven't made them available as a viable treatment option for the public ever as of yet have they it's not something you can have done right it's not a procedure you could go have it's not a medical treatment you could receive you have to either be part of the experimental group or the the case study in order to get this done or it's not getting done so this is not something that creates a viable treatment alternative for the public out there it's still as always undergoing these different phases of study and it's not being utilized in a way where it's helpful to people at this point. Uh, but let's continue reading here, and we will finish this up. So, the potential market for neural prostheses is enormous. An estimated 10 million Americans grapple with major depression. 4.5 million suffer from memory loss caused by Alzheimer's disease. More than 2 million have been paralyzed by spinal cord injuries amyotrophic lateral sclerosis and strokes, and more than a million are legally blind. Hmm. 
And these were the statistics as of 2005, folks. They are much, much higher than that now. So what has the study of these technologies wrought us since this time in 2005 when this was written? And even further back from the 1950s when Delgado was doing this work, what medical benefits have we since been able to uh, achieve by using these types of technologies? We don't hear an awful lot, do we? I mean, there, there are definitely the next phase of these coming out called the, the brain-computer interface, the BCI device, all based upon these ideas, this early work of Delgado, the idea of chips and uh, the non-invasive use of signal processing to affect the mind and the body. Uh, so all these things have a, a firm foundation they're built upon, but they still, in the uh, advent of their study, going back as far, according to this article here, going back as far as as early as the 1920s and 30s, when you get down to brass tacks here, uh, when they were studying the electrical stimulation of the brain, uh, from that time till now, so you're talking over the span of about 100 years, they still have not produced a viable treatment alternative for people that are suffering from these different conditions that they're claiming to try to help with this, that the study of this can help. What have they learned to do, though? Well, ostensibly, they've learned how to remotely control movements of animals and been able to induce all kinds of different emotions in animals and humans through the use of these types of technologies. Imagine how far they've been able to hone that now, especially thinking about uh, the way that our technological world is set up now. What kind of a system's in place? What can they do with this technology now that they weren't able to in the early phases of it? Think about that. And then you have to wonder, why don't we hear more about this, about things like neuroprosthetics, about these BCI devices? We do hear a little bit about it if you follow any kind of science news. I mean, you, you know, they'll, they'll tell you that they're able to hook up uh, a, uh, a type of an interface, uh, you know, a surgical uh, solution here where they could implant a chip or something in a person's brain and they could control a mouse on a computer screen, right? We've seen these things. But these technologies go back a long time now. I mean, you're talking... It doesn't seem like we see in the mainstream where these things have advanced all that much since the 1960s, right? Uh, Delgado was doing the experiment with the bull in the 1960s. He was able to remotely control a bull in the 1960s. And here we are, 2022, 60 years later, and still it hasn't advanced that much. Do you believe that? Do you think it's just coincidental that, uh, you know, Delgado got largely forgotten, his work got largely forgotten, and, uh, you know, nobody really cites him as a source anymore or looks at his work? <laughs> Is that a coincidence? Or has this kind of been hushed up on purpose uh, for certain reasons? And then you look at incidents like uh, what happened at that embassy uh, where they were talking about uh, the... Uh, the ambassadors there being hit with this psychological weapon of sorts, this uh, radio frequency weapon, which caused them to become ill. And the Havana syndrome type thing, as it was called. Um, this is a real thing, folks. 
These are real technologies, and they're probably far in advance of what they would like us to believe, right? So with that being the case, I, I find it hard to believe Delgado was working on this stuff in the 1960s, and it really hasn't gone anywhere. That's just not logical on the face of it, especially when you have the military involved in funding it and places like DARPA interested in his research and going back and looking at it. So something has been done with this technology. Something is being done with this technology. And we have things today like Neuralink, right, by our, our good old buddy Elon Musk running this company, being the front man for this company, Neuralink, where they're developing this neural prosthetic device uh, called Neural Lace that uh, they claim can be used for all sorts of different applications. And they came up with uh, these patented processes where they have this uh, supercomputer, this machine that actually uh, sews the electrodes into the brain of the, the recipient uh, in the form of a chip, and you're able to insert a chip uh, to connect with that and control a device remotely from that, allegedly. And they're able to uh, do many things with it. That they This is what they claim, right? And they haven't released much information to the public about it. And they're not going to. And here's the, the big key right there. Neuralink is not the only company working on this stuff. There's others. And they're kind of doing it more quietly behind the scenes. But they also get military funding and they're using all these same type of techniques and technologies, uh, many of which were pioneered by Delgado, right? When you look at the brain chip application of these things and the electrical stimulation of different regions of the brain, and then you, you know, you get involved with stuff like uh, where DARPA got involved with the Human Brain Project, the Brain Project. Uh, they're one of the primary funders of this, and they're trying to uh, map the neural pathways of the brain. And, uh, you know, I, I think they claim to be pretty far along with that. They, they claim to have better understanding than we've had before of how brain function works. And who knows what's really going on in the auspices of special access programs out there under the direction of the military-industrial complex via places like DARPA and the Office of Naval Research, which Delgado admits to having been funded by and working for. So, with that being said, I mean... It's hard to tell what the reality is today with these technologies. But rest assured, we're going to see more of it in the very near future because this is all part of the push towards transhumanism. So you're going to hear uh, the term neuroprosthetics a lot more. You're going to see them pushing the narrative. We could get uh, paralyzed people to walk again. We could help the blind to see. We could do all these miracles with this technology. And this is the promissory note that they're going to give us in order to... Uh, Make this sound like a feasible thing for people. Make it sound attractive for people. And they're going to offer the ability to uh, enhance your own cognition and intelligence through artificial means, through a brain chip. This is all part of the push for transhumanism, too. So, and they'll use the argument that... Uh, it's the ethical thing to do because, you see, if we have these devices that could vastly in, improve uh, human ability for people that have some type of a disability, well, should not we make this same thing that offers beyond human uh, capacity to regular people that don't have these disabilities? 
Would that not be the ethical thing to do? They should have equal opportunity, right? You, you see how they have to, you know, include the inclusivity factor to all of this. So that's why the medical model is going to be transforming from a disease management model, which it is now, to a an enhancement model. Uh, and the insurance companies are working on this. They've been working hard on this. They've had uh, different think tanks uh, come up with documentation for this and figure out how are we going to uh, how are we going to pivot uh, when this happens? Because they're all banking on the transhumanist future, this enhancement model of medicine. Uh, that's what's coming in the future, folks, and this is all part of it. And the the neuroprosthetic device uh, angle of it all is going to be one of the keys for this, because they're going to claim to be able to uh, enhance your intelligence and enhance your human capabilities, your cognition. Uh, give you this uh, access from a brain chip directly to the internet, from your brain to the internet. You, you could be able to know anything in an instant, right? So they're going to give you this promise that uh, this will be something that's feasible and that anybody that's not on board for receiving the brain chip, well, they're going to be left behind, right? <coughs> Excuse me. That this is going to be uh, the evolution of mankind to the next level and anybody who's so backward as to not want to be involved with this well they're going to be a different species altogether this is what they write about and talk about in the transhumanist literature uh, it's going to be a different species they're going to uh, surpass us in every way that's what they claim uh, by the use of these different types of technologies and the neural prosthetic device or brain chip is one of the big keys to doing that now it's just a matter of how do they get this brain chip uh, into the people. What kind of, uh, you know, techniques are they going to have to use? Are they going to be invasive techniques? Or can they do this some other way? And that's where it gets a little rocky here in the future. Uh, because they, they may currently, uh, and certainly will in the future, possess ways to do this covertly where you may not even know that you have a device that's been either implanted in you or has been built in vivo inside your body from the ground up. That's right. And it's called nano neurotechnologies, and they're under development right now, and they're probably way far in advance of what we think. And I'm sure, uh, you know, it's, it's a concerning thing, uh, especially when you see papers out there in the scientific literature, talking about, uh, I think that uh, uh, human behavior should be modified covertly for the greater good, as one of their arguments in a bioethics paper. <laughs> so uh, when you see these things, and I'm not making that up, folks. That's a real thing. Uh, let me see if I can actually find that paper for you. Uh, just a little snippet of it. I think I might have it handy here. So let's give me just one second. And I will look and see, right? So it's all about, when it comes down to it, they want to be able to change up your behavior, how you act. Here it is. This is in from PubMed.gov, okay? Um, bioethics, okay? The journal Bioethics 
This is written by a Parker Crutchfield, January 2019. Compulsory moral bioenhancement should be covert, is the name of the article. The abstract. Some theorists argue that moral bioenhancement ought to be compulsory. I take this argument one step further, arguing that if moral bioenhancement ought to be compulsory, then its administration ought to be covert rather than overt. This is to say that it is morally preferable for compulsory moral bioenhancement to be administered without the recipients knowing that they are receiving the enhancement. My argument for this is that if moral bioenhancement ought to be compulsory, then its administration is a matter of public health and, for this reason, should be governed by public health ethics. <laughs> and that's just a portion of this article, folks. This is in a peer-reviewed scientific journal. And you can find this at pubmed.gov. Right? And it's uh, the journal Bioethics and the National Center for Biotechnology Information at the uh, NIH, the National Library of Medicine. PubMed, Compulsory Moral Bioenhancement Should Be Covert. Name of the paper here, the research paper. It's not even an article, it's a research paper, right? Uh, so, and it's, it's bioethics, it's a bioethics paper talking about the implications of this. So they, they've talked about, they readily admit, they think, uh, you know, compulsory moral bioenhancement should be going on, where they can change up your behavior to make you a good, compliant little slave. And they, they, this guy here is arguing that it should be done covertly so you don't know what's going on because of, you know, quote-unquote, the greater good. Because it's a public health ethic thing see it's all about public health it's all for the greater good and this is how these people roll so we have to be concerned with this and uh, take this stuff seriously right and a lot of this uh, as i was talking about traces back to some of these this early work from delgado where he's proven that you could control physical movement you can control emotional states in people with this electrical stimulation and through a uh, brain implant of sorts, a, a, a computer chip implanted in the brain. Now, uh, the neuroprosthesis that are coming in the near future, the neuroprosthetics, will be far in advance of anything Delgado was working with and probably likely already are and, uh, you know, will be <laughs> a lot less... Uh, invasive on the face of it uh, as far as their delivery systems go. So, uh, you know, that's what we have going on here and, and to look at going forward. And it's all a push towards the transhumanist notion of things. So with that being the case, uh, we could see that uh, we should be concerned here uh, because with these types of technologies, they can modify your behavior. They could do it covertly and you would never know right? And, and that's that's the bottom line here. So how many of us are being manipulated in this way? Is it possible it could be going on now? Hmm? What kinds of technologies do they have? And uh, what exactly could be done with these? Uh, so we could see by going back, looking at Delgado's work in the 1960s, when he was able to pull this stuff off via remote control with a brain chip in different test subjects, then, 60 years ago, imagine what can be done now. And think about the implications thereof. 
and uh, think about those people in charge of these technologies or who have a vested interest in utilizing these technologies in some certain way. Think about, think about that. Think about the government regime that we're now living under. All the things that have been done here the past two and a half, going on three years now, to mankind as a whole. And think about the implications of mind control technology of this sort. And uh, remember, when you go back and look at this early research, we could see many of the concepts have been proven out. Proof of concept. Delgado demonstrated proof of concept way back 60 years ago. And now they have much more efficient means and methods of producing these types of technologies, and they have a lot more data to work with. They know what they're doing more even more so. They've kept a lot of his work hidden for years. Uh, not really hidden. It's still out there in the public uh, arena, but it's it's not really talked about, right? It's kind of fallen to the wayside and been forgotten about, and it's been done this way on purpose. It's kind of been censored out of the public viewpoint for the longest time. Uh, but we're coming to a point now where uh, this type of research is going to be pivotal in moving forward for many of these transhumanist uh, pushers out there. And this is the kind of stuff they look at. These are the kinds of technologies that they, they really want to implement. They think it's going to be for the greater good. It's going to be the next step in human evolution. This is where we need to go. We need to merge our mind with the machine and become one with the machine. That that's the only way forward. That's the only way towards the post-human dream here. The advancement of man beyond who he is and what he is. And it's the great lie from the Garden of Eden, folks, that man can be as God. Right? It always ties back to that. Always has. Always will. And these technologies are just one more method of doing that. Anyway, I wanted to thank you all for listening tonight. I'm going to let it go right there, and we will catch you next time. Have a good night, everyone. Thanks for listening.
Introducing the new home for free speech, Free World FM, the alternative to the alternative. Keep on talking in the free world. That's freeworld.fm. Coming soon.